Western Railway. It's the Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading. I'm G4. And I'm Nathan Smith. I'm the expert. And I'm the rookie. As we discussed in a previous episode, G-Scale was introduced by Ernst Paul Lehman Patent Work. Okay. As Lehman Grossbahn or Lehman's Big Trains in 1968. Nowadays, G-Scale often represents 1 to 22.5 scale, but the same track gauge is sometimes used now for narrow gauges of other scales. Because of this, you will sometimes hear G-Scale referred to as G-Gauge, Gauge 1, or other names, but the one thing that they all represent is the same gauge track at 44 millimeters or 1.772 inches between the rails. While any model railroad laid out in a garden can be called a garden railroad, nearly all are built in G-scale, which is one of my personal favorite scales, because modern G-scale equipment is built to stand the tough outdoor environments, which includes its elements such as rain, snow, cold, heat, sunlight, you name it. Garden railroads have been successfully built in O scale and somewhat successfully built in HO scales, but generally, the smaller you go, the more hostile the environment is to trains. If you are planning on building a non-G scale garden railroad, keep in mind while G scale trains are built out of oxidation resistant metals and photodegradation resistant plastics, most other models are not. Thus, equipment wear in non-G-scale garden railroads will be a much bigger problem. Basically, if you want to build a garden railroad, build it in G-scale, especially yeah. for beginners. Much like the dichotomy between high railers and collectors in O-scale, garden railroads generally fall into two types. One style is characterized by realism, and the other by whimsicality. The realism style of garden railroading usually represents a railroad that did or could have existed. They are backed up by semi-realistic track arrangements, weathered structures, and realistic landscapes. The whimsical style of garden railroading is better described as a garden with a railroad, where the railroad is more an ornament of the garden than the focus. Its focus is on bright trains, beautiful landscaping, and entertaining track arrangements. Often, there are various loops of track that are not connected, no supporting track architecture like yards or storage tracks, and few structures. Despite these differences in focus, both types of garden railroads share several uniting features. Garden railroading is best described as the art of combining a model railroad in the beautiful garden to create a railroad-like atmosphere where full realism is substituted with real-world beauty. That's why I love outdoor railroading so much, because I love the outdoors and I love trains. Whereas traditional railroads focus on creating realism with artificial materials like resin, foam, or plaster, outdoor garden railroads try to create realism by using a palette of all natural materials like stones, small plants, and water. 
The phrase less is more is probably truer for garden railroading than any other subgenre of model railroading, whereas even the smallest of model railroads usually needs several locomotives, dozens of freight cars, and multiple towns to work well, in garden railroading you can very easily get away with a simple loop of track, a single locomotive, a few cars, and minimal track features or industries. Well, this is not necessary. Maybe garden railroads also have tracks that go into a shed or garage with storage tracks inside. This allows for easy storage of trains come inclement weather by simply running them inside a building instead of picking them up car by car and hefting them to a safe place. Finally, while many garden railroads have elevation changes or different track heights like other types of pikes, because of the nature of garden railroading, these are done in distinctly different ways from other model railroads. For at-grade elevation changes, arduous calculations and shovel work must be undertaken to construct a slow, level rise to the next level, much like real railroads. To create track height where ground height is not, modelers sometimes create extended dozen to hundred foot viaducts out of treated woods or fiberboards. Because of the difficulty of calculating and building grades, many garden railroaders opt to have separate track levels unconnected by track to each other. This most often takes the form of an elaborate ground level with a simpler elevated level weaving between hills on a viaduct. Unlike regular pikes, which use flex track exclusively, many garden railroads are built with sectional track. Though flex track and hand laying are also used, sectional track is preferable for impermanent railroads like your first pike. 32 inches is generally considered the minimum radius, but larger equipment will need larger curves. Additionally, a 3% grade is also the maximum allowable grade. The main difference of garden railroading from indoor layouts is the sub-roadbed. While you can lay your track directly on grass and dirt, you run the risk of plants overgrowing the right-of-way or of stormwater and day-night heat cycles eroding the sub-roadbed away from underneath your track. Thus, while indoor modelers model ballast, garden railroaders actually need to make use of it. There are two main methods for sub-roadbed. The first, like I did for the start of my railroad, is to dig a trench two to three inches deep and fill it with ballast up to the bottom of the ties, a little above ground level, then lay the track in its final configuration on top of the ballast table and level it until the track is flat and smooth. Then you pour more ballast over the track up on top of the ties and use a large paintbrush to brush the ballast off the top of the ties into a smooth clean profile along the sides. An alternative method is to dig a 2-3 to three inch deep trench again, but then to fill it with a line of cinder blocks mirroring where the track will go. You then level the cinder blocks carefully using the dirt underneath them, and lay the track on top of the cinder blocks, and fill the trench and track with ballast, smoothing it with a paintbrush. The advantage of using the cinder blocks is that, when leveled correctly, they will make the track smoother, and it will stay in place for a much longer period of time, even with erosion. On the flip side, however, this can be much more expensive than ballast alone, and may not be necessary for some applications. Some people, instead of cinder blocks, actually pour concrete into the trough. While this fights weeds epically, it is much more expensive, time-consuming, and permanent. Thus, it is unwise for beginners. <laughs> Either way, ballast is necessary because it helps keep the track level and in place, discourages weeds and plants from growing on the right-of-way, 
and diverts rainwater and snow melt without eroding the foundations of the railroad. Critically important is your choice of ballast. Do not use rounded stones like pea gravel or river rock. Instead, use 4 to 10 millimeter crushed stone with rough edges like turkey grit, chicken grit, or rockyard crusher flans. As smooth stones, as good as they look, will be washed away in a storm. There are three main types of installations for garden railroads. The first, similarly to above, is a ground-level railroad. This is the simplest and most common type of garden railroad, primarily because it puts the trains in the garden, and is very easy and cheap to construct. All you have to do is put the track on the ground. Pretty much. However, it has two key drawbacks. First, because the tracks sit in the plant sphere, either weeding or weed preventative measures will be necessary. Second, bending down or spending days on your knees will be physically difficult, especially for older models. However, if you're young whippersnappers like the two of us, you should be fine. An alternative to a ground-level railroad is to build an elevated railroad. Raising the tracks anywhere from inches to meters above the ground prevents the need for weeding and reduces the vertical distance between you and the trains, making them easier to work with. However, this takes the trains out of the garden, reducing the scenic potential, is more expensive to build, and is less flexible. So it is not often opted for. A third hybrid style of garden railroad construction is to build a terrace. The track is laid on the ground per the first method, but the whole garden railroad is built on a terrace raised three or four feet above normal ground level, making it kind of more like a traditional table model railroad, but using dirt instead of plywood. Even though this is the most common form of garden railroads, because this is for long-term pikes and more experienced builders, it will not be discussed further here. Unlike normal model railroads, which have two options, DC and DCC, garden railroads have two more options. Battery-operated radio-controlled locomotives and live steam models. Because garden railroading has a greater emphasis on roundy-round train operation and separate track loops, conventional DC, or direct current, track power is much more applicable to garden railroading than in regular model railroading, in which, as we will discuss in future episodes, DC is seldom used. In fact, DC is the choice for the majority of large-scale modelers. However, it does come with some limitations. First, you can only have one locomotive per block of track, and no or limited sound effects. Additionally, as with all track powers, continuity across rail joints is suspect, and rail joints need to have soldered-on feeder jumper wires, or a special clamp-on or screw-on type of rail joiner, be covered in electrically conductive grease, or a feeder must be dropped to every single piece of track. Interestingly, DC track power is the same voltage as garden lighting, so assuming you don't run too many trains at once, you can integrate your garden lighting right into the track power. So that's a nice feature. I must mention that there is a disadvantage to track power. The <clears throat> disadvantage of track power versus battery or live steam is, if, is you have to clean your tracks a lot more I mean, like, seriously, like, if you want to keep your trains running smoothly on an electrified garden railroad, oh, you, ha- you have to clean the track like crazy. I mean... 
actually, that's the thing. So long as you run trains every day, at least a little bit, you don't have to clean your track at all. But granted, you are right, though, because most garden railroads uh, go down for operation over the winter. Yeah, another... And, that's Sorry. And so you would need to uh, clean the track at least once a year whenever you want to bring it back into summer operation. So that, that brings me to the next thing. Another disadvantage of track power is if you live in a certain region with a certain type of climate... I mean, it greatly it depends on what is recommended. For example, in California and the desert southwest and Arizona and those sunny states, you can get away with track power really easy because most of the year it's sunny. Here in the Pacific Northwest, where G4 and I live, in the city of Seattle, it rains most of the year, which I recommend battery to live steam power because rain can be a problem with track power. Now, on to the next track power option. DCC, or Digital Command Control, is much like DC in terms of it using track power, but it integrates computer chips inside the locomotives and a throttle command station like in conventional indoor railroading, for which we will discuss later. Basically, for now, it allows multiple locomotives to run on the same track independently of each other, in addition to having a wider variety of sound effects. Additionally, DCC systems also have options for walk-around radio throttles, which allow you to run your train from anywhere around the railroad. However, DCC chips, DCC-equipped locomotives, and hardware can all be prohibitively expensive, especially in G-scale. If you plan on building a pike without many loops, trains, or routes, a simple pike with one locomotive running at a time, or a railroad that merely complements your garden, DCC is definitely not worth the cost. However, if you plan on running two locomotives at the same time on the same track, having a pike that is more operationally focused, or are willing to pay for the convenience of easily switching out locomotives from one route to the next, then DCC is worth looking into. A recent player into the game are battery-powered, radio-controlled trains. Battery operation works best in environments where track cleaning, as I mentioned, or even wiring can be a real problem, and also in regions, like I said, that are rainier, like the Pacific Northwest. It also allows you to control your trains from anywhere in the garden, as I have seen in with most of the garden railways I've visited, visited on my monthly club meetings when I was putting part of the Puget Sound Garden Railway Society. In fact, I just want to make a little minor note here. When I was part of the Orange County Garden Railway Society in California, every single garden railroad was track-powered. And I already mentioned why. Because it never rains down there. Up here, every garden railway I visited is either live steam or battery. That being said, however, this option can be very expensive on locomotives already equipped and really difficult to install on locomotives not equipped for battery radio control, which is why I've yet to have my two locomotives converted. Especially for these reasons for the beginner, it is usually advisable to start with DC or DCC first. Several companies offer systems that can be integrated into existing track-powered systems, so if you intend to use battery radio control, you can set up your railroad with a quick, cheap, and easy DC-powered system, and once it's up and running, slowly transition over to radio control with or without battery power, such as what I plan on doing with a John Western. If you are looking for the option to run multiple trains on the same track, look at DCC first. It, it both costs less and is simpler to use. And finally, there's my personal favorite of them all, live steam models. 
similar to ride-on live steam models, G-Scale live steams are real steam engines, just smaller. They run on a variety of fuel, like butane, coal, or alcohol methanol spirit mix. And some even have radio control throttles, so they can be controlled, and you can operate a real steam engine um, like you're operating a real railroad, which I will get into in a little bit. However, these are hardly beginner projects and shall not be discussed here. One of the biggest draws of garden railroading is the fact that it combines typical modeling with the hobby of gardening. As with model railroading, you needn't be an expert when starting. Garden railroading is also preferable to other forms of the hobby because the gardening aspect is something that the whole family can and normally does get involved in. Unlike typical gardening, gardening for a garden railroad typically resembles rock gardens more than other gardening styles, with a strong emphasis on miniaturized plants and landscape design. Think of it like building a Japanese Zen garden where not only plants, but rocks, dirt, water, and other natural products are also in your toolbox. One note, as in all forms of landscape architecture, be mindful of how your gardening creations can affect the functionality of your railroad. For example, keep ground creeping plants away from the track where they could overrun it and avoid putting track under the trees that shed their leaves in the fall and beware dirt only embankments that could be washed out with rain either onto or out from underneath your railroad. Look into local garden railroading and rock gardening societies for more help. To successfully grow your garden, your choice of railroad theme must reflect the growing environment you have for your plants. Before you invest in any plants, figure out which environment you have and pick the best plants for it. Again, join a local garden railroading club or a rock garden club for more information. The common themes of garden railroads include the following. First of all, mountain theme. Best described as an alpine environment, large moss-covered boulders and rock hills create mountains, while small plants, intricate ground-cover plants, back up the illusion. This is also a prime thing to integrate water features like streams, waterfalls, and ponds into the landscape. Our research shows that the plants to look into are Dionythus tiny rubies, Turkish veronica, and mother of thyme. Another theme is the forest theme. This is characterized by miniature forests and rolling dirt hills with some rock features. Some good plants are dwarf Alberta spruce, Norway spruce, Larix decadua, please forgive me if I mispronounce that, Juniperus communis compressa, Thuja orientalis rosadalis, and American arbovitae. Please forgive me if I mispronounced any of those. I'm a model railroader. Nathan's the garden railroader here. You should know this. <laughs> and also one of my favorite themes of all time, the desert theme. By far, the desert theme is the easiest to build because it involves fewer plants and simple components. The desert theme is a landscape filled with sandstone rocks, dry washes, and barren stretches of sandy hills. It could be as simple as pouring sand over your lawn. And plants to look for are gray-leafed plants like the Silver Mound Sage, the Wooly Thyme, and succulents like Dragon's Blood, Sedum, and House Sleek. However, if you also want to do a very uh, stereotyped-style desert railroad, I do recommend buying some small cactus. 
Now, here are some good ideas for beginner garden railroads to get you on, uh, off on the right foot while you look for a local source of information to help expand your knowledge. First off, unlike indoor railroads, which require extensive infrastructure and planning to accommodate expansion, expanding a garden railroad is as simple as picking up a shovel. Thus, it is incredibly easy to expand, and you are encouraged to start small. One idea is to build a small starter railroad in an area different from your main planned long-term railroad. This way you can have you can still have a small operational garden railroad to keep your interest while the other side of your yard is in shambles for construction. When you're laying track, put lots of effort into giving the track a stable foundation. Make your track connections mechanically and electrically bulletproof. Generally, screw or bolt-on rail joiners do the job best. Once the track is down, do lots of weed prevention. Once you become more experienced and build more permanent pikes, you should take measures like concrete, sub-road bed, elevated tracks, or using heavy-duty landscaping cloth to avoid the need for extensive weeding. And I refuse to use pesticides or any of that crap because they kill bees, which are very important for our ecosystem. Mm, nice point. Mm -hmm. While battery power can have a lot of advantages, if you are planning on building a mechanically sound railroad, it takes very little additional effort and infinitely less money to build an electrically sound track-powered railroad. For beginners, start here and save battery power for later, so that you can get your railroad up and running, and make battery power a long-term project for when you have both the experience and the time to do so. If you do do this in a wet climate, I do recommend and not running your trains in the wintertime because that's when it rains here. But if you live in a snowy climate, get yourself a snowplow and I guarantee you, you will feel no greater satisfaction in this world than using your snowplow to plow the tracks of your garden railroad. One of our guys in the garden railroad club, he actually does that when it snows in his place. He brings out his snowplow. He's even had his big boy plow the snow. Seriously, go onto YouTube and check out some of the videos of yeah, this. Yeah, they're actually really cool. I dare you not to smile. <laughs> When laying track in your yard, try to have as wide a minimum curve radius as you can. While three to four foot circles might look like they take up a lot of space in your home, they look artificially tight in the garden and are better replaced with ten foot curves. That way you can accommodate bigger locomotives. That, and also, even with the same size locomotives, the less the curve radius, the less likely the train is to derail. Exactly. Because the two places where you are most likely to have derailments are on curves and turnouts. Or if your shea goes in a certain direction on uneven track and derails constantly. Uh, uneven track, <laughs> exactly. If you, yeah, if you guys watch the live, the Facebook Live, you'll probably see that I had to turn my shea around in order to get it running flawlessly on my currently uneven garden railroad. Unlike other areas of the hobby where it is impractical to do so, when building your first garden railroad, it is a good idea to begin with a very simple starter set, like a box that you buy in a toy store. This is because, except for a little extra track, the starter set includes literally everything you need to build a garden railroad, namely a locomotive, cars, some track, and a power source. 
When building indoor model railroads, the sectional track is often not used, and you usually end up needing much more than just the single locomotive, simple power pack, and few cars provided in the starter set, thus making them impractical buys. However, for a garden railroad, because the focus of the sub-hobby is not as much on the trains in operation, the exact same components get you much closer to having a completed garden railroad, thus making them much more worth buying. Ultimately, you can have a very good and successful garden railroad with nothing more than a starter set and some extra track purchased on the side. Stay tuned for an upcoming episode on starter sets and situations in which it is best to buy them. When buying buildings or structure kits for your model railroad, start out slowly. Only buy a few buildings at a time until you have an idea for how your railroad is coming together. Because G-scale buildings are very expensive, having extra buildings that you end up not using is a much more costly mistake than in other scales. The neat idea is to use birdhouses or aquarium features as stand in model. <clears throat> and finally... Don't take shortcuts when building the train-involved components of your railroad. If you can run your trains, maintenance or other issues can be done while the trains are running without hassle. However, if you skimp out on the trains and they end up having issues, then what's the point of building a railroad? The easier it is for you to run your trains, the more likely you are to be active in and enjoy the hobby. This also goes for other areas of model railroading, too. And I do recommend, if you live in a, a certain area, I do recommend joining the local Garden Railway Society. As I mentioned numerous times, I'm part of the Puget Sound Garden Railway Society, but they are all over the country. There's the Rose City in Portland, there's the Denver Garden Railway Society, and none other than Denver, and so on and so forth. Ultimately, one of the best things about garden railroading is seeing a train plowing the track with a scale snow plow or hearing it shuff around an actual mountain, however small, while the wind and sun dance around it. Many people find garden railroading to be a rewarding hobby in itself, as do I. And, mm -hmm. ma and many garden railroaders are also indoor modelers. So give Garden Railroading a try next time your family's outside doing some yard work. It is so much fun, and it will be worth it in the long run. Visit me at railfan 227 on Facebook, and visit our new Facebook community on facebook.com slash groups slash B-G-T-M-R-R-I-N-G. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, all right. So, this week, for our modeling quiz, I just want to say one thing. Thus far, nobody has actually emailed us with any answers to the quiz questions, correct or not. So, if you're listening to this as a rebroadcast later, I would like to reemphasize, they are probably still open. So, all you need to do is just email me to see whether or not you have the correct answer. And uh, if you do, and the book has not yet been claimed, I will give it to you. So, go ahead and do that. Uh, uh, for all past episodes and future, obviously. So, the modeling book this week is The Virginia and Truckee, A Story of Virginia City and Comstock Times. It's a little history book about the Virginia and Truckee Railroad, which is one of the most famous mining and desert railroads out there. It was a standard-gauged railroad that ran to many isolated mining communities in Nevada. 
And this ha- and this book has a lot of pictures, some text history, and a few maps of how the railroad expanded itself over time. In addition, at the very end, it has an appendix of all of the locomotives and then some of the cars that the railroad owned. So it's a very wonderful little history uh, book. If you, in case you are interested in that particular railroad, or about mining and desert railroads. There's a lot of desert railroads, I must say. There's the Apache Railroad, there's the Arizona Eastern, there's the Carrizo Gorge, there's the Nevada Northern. <laughs> right. I could go on. And now, our quiz this week, all you have to do is just send in the correct answer. You can even look it up on Google, and I will send you the book. And this comes from the June 1954 issue of Trains. So, current to 1954. The longest railroad in the United States in point of route mileage is A. The Southern Pacific B. The Santa Fe or C. The Pennsylvania If you think you have the correct answer, please email us at bgtmrring at gmail.com. If you like the show, please give us a good review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast feed. Reviews on iTunes help people to discover the podcast. If you did not like the show, do not say anything and contemplate the thought crime you You have committed. (laughs) Do not say anything and contemplate the thought crime you have committed. And finally, our modeling inspiration music this week is the main theme from The Big Country, which does a very good job as a backdrop to a train moving through a dramatic real-world landscape. Wow, wow, West. Exactly. Thank you very much for listening, and and happy happy rails. rails!